Chapter Two of the Papers. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. They met again a few days later, and it seemed the law of their meetings that these should take place mainly within moderate eastward range of Charing Cross. An afternoon performance of a play translated from the Finnish, already several times given on a series of Saturdays, had held Maud for an hour in a small, hot, dusty theatre where the air hung as heavy about the great trimmed and plumed hats of the ladies as over the flora and fauna of a tropical forest, at the end of which she edged out of her stall in the last row to join a small band of unattached critics and correspondents, spectators with ulterior views and pencilled shirt-cuffs, who, coming together in the lobby for an exchange of ideas, were ranging from awful rot to rather jolly. Ideas of this calibre rumbled and flashed, so that lost in the discussion our young woman failed at first to make out that a gentleman on the other side of the group, but standing a little off, had his eyes on her for some extravagant, though apparently quite respectable, purpose. He had been waiting for her to recognise him, and as soon as he had caught her attention he came round to her with an eager bow. She had by this time entirely placed him, placed him as the smoothest and most shining subject with which, in the exercise of her profession, she had yet experimented, but her recognition was accompanied with a pang that his amiable address made but the sharper. She had her reason for awkwardness in the presence of the rosy, glossy, kindly, but discernibly troubled personage whom she had waited on at home, at her own suggestion, promptly welcomed, and the sympathetic element in whose personality, the Chippendale, the photographic, the autographic elements in whose flat in the Earl's Court Road she had commemorated in the liveliest prose of which he was capable. She had described with humour his favourite make of Kodak, she had touched upon his favourite manner of spending his Sundays, and had extorted from him the shy confession that he preferred, after all, the novel of adventure to the novel of subtlety. Her embarrassment was therefore now the greater as, touching to behold, he so clearly had approached her with no intention of asperity, not even at first referring at all to the matter that couldn't have been gracefully explained. She had seen him originally, had had the instinct of it in making up to him, as one of the happy of the earth, and the impression of him at home, on his proving so good-natured about the interview, had begotten in her a sharper envy, a hungrier sense of the invidious distinctions of fate, than any her literary conscience, which she deemed rigid, had yet had to reckon with. He must have been rich, rich by such estimates as hers. He, at any rate, had everything, while she had nothing, nothing but the vulgar need of offering him to brag on his behalf for money, if she could get it, about his luck. She hadn't in fact got money, hadn't so much as managed to work in her stuff anywhere. A practical comment sharp enough on her having represented to him, with wasted pathos she was indeed soon to perceive, how important it was to her that people should let her get at them. This dim celebrity had not needed that argument. He had not only, with his alacrity, allowed her, as she said, to try her hand, but had tried with her quite feverishly, and all to the upshot of showing her that there were even greater outsiders than herself. He could have put down money, could have published, as the phrase was, a bare two columns at his own expense, 
but it was just a part of his rather irritating luxury that he had a scruple about that wanted intensely to taste the sweet but didn't want to owe it to any wire-pulling he wanted the golden apple straight from the tree where it yet seemed so unable to grow for him by any exuberance of its own he had breathed to her his real secret that to be inspired to work with effect he had to feel he was appreciated to have it all somehow come back to him the artist necessarily sensitive lived on encouragement on knowing and being reminded that people cared for him a little cared even just enough to flatter him a wee bit they had talked that over and he had really as he called it quite put himself in her power he had whispered in her ear that it might be very weak and silly but that positively to be himself to do anything certainly to do his best he required the breath of sympathy he did love notice let alone praise there it was to be systematically ignored well blighted him at the root he was afraid she would think he had said too much but she left him with his leave none the less to repeat a part of it they had agreed that she was to bring in prettily somehow that he did love praise for just the right way he was sure he could trust to her taste she had promised to send him the interview and proof but she had been able after all to send it but in type copy if she after all had had a flat adorned as to the drawing-room alone with eighty-three photographs and all in plush frames if she had lived in the earl's court road had been rosy and glossy and well filled out and if she had looked withal as she always made a point of calling it when she wished to refer without vulgarity to the right place in the social scale unmistakably gentle if she had achieved these things she would have snapped her fingers at all other sweets have sat as tight as possible and let the world wag have spent her sundays in silently thanking her stars and not have cared to know one kodak or even one novelist's methods from another except for his unholy itch he was in short so just the person she would have liked to be that the last consecration was given for her to his character by his speaking quite as if he had accosted her only to secure her view of the strange finnish soul he had come each time there had been four saturdays whereas maud herself had had to wait till to-day though her bread depended on it for the roundabout charity of her publicly bad seat it didn't matter why he had come so that he might see it somewhere printed of him that he was a conspicuously faithful attendant at the interesting series it only mattered that he was letting her off so easily and yet there was a restless hunger odd on the part of one of the filled out in his appealing eye which he now saw not to be a bit intelligent though that didn't matter either howard bite came into view while she dealt with these impressions whereupon she found herself edging a little away from her patron her other friend who had but just arrived and was apparently waiting to speak to her would be a pretext for a break before the poor gentleman should begin to accuse her of having failed him she had failed herself so much more that she would have been ready to reply to him that he was scarce the one to complain fortunately however the bell sounded the end of the interval and her tension was relaxed they all flocked back to their places and her camarade she knew enough often so to designate him was enabled thanks to some shifting of other spectators to occupy a seat beside her 
he had brought with him the breath of business hurrying from one appointment to another he might have time but for a single act he had seen each of the others by itself and the way he now crammed in the third after having previously snatched the fourth brought home again to the girl that he was leading the real life her own was a dull imitation of it yet it happened at the same time that before the curtain rose again he had with a who's your fat friend professed to have caught her in the act of making her own brighter mortimer marshall he echoed after she had a trifle dryly satisfied him never heard of him well i shan't tell him that but you have she said you've only forgotten i told you after i had been to him her friend thought it came back to him oh yes and showed me what you had made of it i remember your stuff was charming i see you remember nothing maud a little more dryly said i didn't show you what i had made of it i've never made anything you've not seen my stuff and nobody has they won't have it she spoke with a smothered vibration but as they were still waiting it had made him look at her by which she was slightly the more disconcerted who won't everyone everything won't nobody nothing will he's hopeless or rather i am i'm no good and he knows it oh the young man kindly but vaguely protested has he been making that remark to you no that's the worst of it he's too dreadfully civil he thinks i can do something then why do you say he knows you can't she was impatient she gave it up well i don't know what he knows except that he does want to be loved do you mean he has proposed to you to love him loved by the great heart of the public speaking through its natural organ he wants to be well where beadle muffet is oh i hope not said bite with grim amusement his friend was struck with his tone do you mean it's coming on for beadle muffet what we talked about and then as he looked at her so queerly that her curiosity took a jump it really and truly is has anything happened the rummest thing in the world since i last saw you we're wonderful you know you and i together we see and what we see always takes place usually within the week it wouldn't be believed but it will do for us at any rate it's high sport do you mean she asked that his scare has literally begun he meant clearly quite as much as he said he has written to me again he wants to see me and we've an appointment for monday then why isn't it the old game because it isn't he wants to gather from me as i have served him before if something can't be done on a souvent besoin d'un plus petit que soi keep quiet and we shall see something this was very well only his manner visibly had for her the effect of a chill in the air i hope she said you're going at least to be decent to him well you'll judge nothing at all can be done it's too ridiculously late and it serves him right i shan't deceive him certainly but i might as well enjoy him the fiddles were still going and maud had a pause well you know you've more or less lived on him i mean it's the kind of thing you are living on precisely that's just why i loathe it again she hesitated you mustn't quarrel you know with your bread and butter he looked straight before him as if she had been consciously and the least bit disagreeably sententious 
what in the world's that but what i shall just be not doing if our bread and butter is the universal push i consult our interests by not letting it trifle with us they're not to blow hot and cold it won't do there he is let him get out himself what i call sport is to see if he can and not poor wretch to help him but bite was ominously lucid the devil is that he can't be helped his one idea of help from the day he opened his eyes has been to be prominently damn the word mentioned it's the only kind of help that exists in connection with him what therefore is a fellow to do when he happens to want it to stop wants a special sort of providence that will work like a trap in a pantomime and enable him to vanish when the situation requires it is one to mention that he wants not to be mentioned never never please any more do you see the success of that all over the place do you see the headlines in the american papers no he must die as he has lived the principal public person of his time well she sighed it's all horrible and then without a transition what do you suppose has happened to him the dreadfulness i wasn't to tell you i only mean if you suppose him in a really bad hole the young man considered it can't certainly be that he has had a change of heart never it may be nothing worse than that the woman he wants to marry has turned against it but i supposed him with all his children so boomed to be married naturally else he couldn't have got such a boom from the poor lady's illness death and burial don't you remember two years ago we are given to understand that sir a b c beadle muffet k c b m p particularly desires that no flowers be sent for the late honourable lady beadle muffet's funeral and then the next day we are authorised to state that the impression so generally prevailing that sir a b c beadle muffet has expressed an objection to flowers in connection with the late honourable lady beadle's muffet obsequies rests on a misapprehension of sir a b c beadle muffet's markedly individual views the floral tributes already delivered in queensgate gardens and remarkable for number and variety have been a source of such gratification to the bereaved gentleman as his situation permits with a wind-up of course for the following week the inevitable few heads of a remark on the part of the bereaved gentleman on the general subject of flowers at funerals as a fashion vouchsafed under pressure possibly indiscreet to a rising young journalist always thirsting for the authentic word i guess now said maud after an instant the rising young journalist you egged him on dear no i panted in his rear it makes you she added more than cynical and what do you call more than cynical it makes you sardonic wicked she continued devilish that's it that is cynical enough's as good as a feast but he came back to the ground they had quitted what were you going to say he's prominent for mortimer marshall she wouldn't however follow him there yet her curiosity on the other issue not being spent do you know then as a fact that he's marrying again the bereaved gentleman her friend at this showed impatience my dear fellow do you see nothing at all we had it all didn't we three months ago and then we didn't have it and then we had it again and goodness knows where we are but i throw out the possibility 
i forget her bloated name but she may be rich and she may be decent she may make it a condition that he keeps out out i mean of the only things he has ever really been in the papers the dreadful nasty vulgar papers she may put it to him i see it dimly and queerly but i see it that he must get out first and then they'll talk then she'll say yes then he'll have the money i see it and much more sharply that he wants the money needs it i mean badly desperately so that this necessity may very well make the hole in which he finds himself therefore he must do something what he's trying to do it supplies the motive that our picture the other day rather missed maud blandy took this in but it seemed to fail to satisfy her it must be something worse you make it out that so that your practical want of mercy which you'll not be able to conceal from me shall affect me as less inhuman i don't make it out anything and i don't care what it is the queerness the grand irony of the case is itself enough for me you on your side however i think make it out what you call something worse because of the romantic bias of your mind you see red yet isn't it after all sufficiently lurid that he shall lose his blooming bride you're sure maud appealed that he'll lose her poetic justice screams for it and my whole interest in the matter is staked on it but the girl continued to brood i thought you contend that nobody's half decent where do you find a woman to make such a condition not easily i admit the young man thought it will be his luck to have found her that's his tragedy say that she can financially save him but that she happens to be just the one freak the creature whose stomach has turned the spark i mean of decency has got after all somehow to be kept alive and it may be lodged in this particular female form i see but why should a female form that's so particular confess to an affinity with a male form that's so fearfully general as he's all self-advertisement why isn't it much more natural to her simply to loathe him well because oddly enough it seems that people don't you do maud declared you'll kill him he just turned a flushed cheek to her and she saw that she had touched something that lived in him we can he consciously smiled deal death and the beauty is that it's in a perfectly straight way we can lead them on but have you ever seen beadle muffet for yourself he continued no how often please need i tell you that i've seen nobody and nothing well if you had you'd understand you mean he's so fetching oh he's great he's not at all self-advertisement or at least he doesn't seem to be that's his pull but i see you female humbug bite pursued how much you like him yourself i want while i'm about it to pity him in sufficient quantity precisely which means for a woman with extravagance and to the point of immorality i ain't a woman maud blandy sighed i wish i were well about the pity he went on you shall be immoral i promise you before you've done doesn't mortimer marshall he asked take you for a woman you'll have to ask him how she demanded does one know those things and she stuck to her beetle muffet if you're to see him on monday shan't you then get to the bottom of it oh i don't conceal from you that i promise myself larks 
but i won't tell you positively i won't bite said what i see you're morbid if it's only bad enough i mean his motive you'll want to save him well isn't that what you're to profess to him that you want ah the young man returned i believe you'd really invent a way i would if i could and with that she dropped it there's my fat friend she presently added as the entr'acte still hung heavy and mortimer marshall from a row much in advance of them screwed himself round in his tight place apparently to keep her in his eye he does then said her companion take you for a woman i seem to guess he's literary that's it so badly that he wrote that literary ply corsanda you must remember with beatrice beaumont in the principal part which was given at three matinees in this very place and which hadn't even the luck of being slated every creature connected with the production from the man himself and beatrice herself down to the mothers and grandmothers of the sixpenny young women the young women of the programmes was interviewed both before and after and he promptly published the piece pleading guiltily to the literary charge which is the great stand he takes and the subject of the discussion bite had wonderingly followed of what discussion why the one he thinks there ought to have been there hasn't been any of course but he wants it dreadfully misses it people won't keep it up whatever they did do though i don't myself make out that they did anything his state of mind required something to start with which has got somehow to be provided there must have been a noise made don't you see to make him prominent and in order to remain prominent he has got to go for his enemies the hostility to his ply and all because it's literary we can do nothing without that but it's uphill work to come across it we sit up nights trying but we seem to get no farther the public attention would seem to abhor the whole matter even as nature abhors a vacuum we've nothing to go upon otherwise we might go far but there we are i see bite commented you're nowhere at all no it isn't even that for we're just where corisanda on the stage and in the closet put us at a stroke only there we stick fast nothing seems to happen nothing seems to come or to be capable of being made to come we wait oh if he waits with you bite amicably jibed he may wait for ever no but resignedly you'll make him forget his wrongs ah i'm not of that sort and i could only do it by making him come into his rights and i recognize now that that's impossible there are different cases you see whole different classes of them and his is the opposite to beadle muffet's howard bite gave a grunt why the opposite if you also pity him i'll be hanged he added if you won't save him too but she shook her head she knew no but it's nearly in its way as lurid do you know she asked what he has done why the difficulty appears to be that he can't have done anything he should strike once more hard and in the same place he should bring out another ply why so you can't be more than prominent and he is prominent you can't do more than subscribe in your prominence to thirty-seven press-cuttings agencies in england and america and having done so you can't do more than sit at home with your ear on the postman's knock looking out for results there comes in the tragedy 
There are no results. Mortimer Marshall's postman doesn't knock. The press-cutting agencies can't find anything to cut. With thirty-seven in the whole English-speaking world, scouring millions of papers for him in vain, and with a big slice of his private income all the while going to it, the irony is too cruel, and the way he looks at one, as in one's degree responsible, does make one wince. He expected naturally most from the Americans, but it's they who have failed him the worst. Their silence is that of the tomb, and it seems to grow, if the silence of the tomb can grow. He won't admit that the thirty-seven look far enough or long enough, and he writes for them, I infer, angry letters wanting to know what the deuce they suppose he has paid them for. But what are they, either, poor things, to do? Do? They can print his angry letters. That at least will break the silence, and he'll like it better than nothing. This appeared to strike our young woman. Upon my word, I really believe he would. Then she thought better of it. But they'd be afraid, for they do guarantee, you know, that there's something for everyone. They claim it's their strength, that there's enough to go round. They won't want to show that they break down. Oh, well, said the young man, if he can't manage to smash a pane of glass somewhere. That's what he thought I would do. And it's what I thought I might, Maud added. Otherwise, I wouldn't have approached him. I did it on spec, but I'm no use. I'm a fatal influence. I'm a non-conductor. She said it with such plain sincerity that it quickly took her companion's attention. I say, he covertly murmured, have you a secret sorrow? Of course I've a secret sorrow. And she stared at it, stiff and a little sombre, not wanting to be too freely handled, while the curtain at last rose to the lighted stage. End of chapter 2